Welcome to Education Matters, presented by the Public School Forum of North Carolina. I'm your host, Marianne Wolf. COVID-19 has created changes to the school budget landscape across our state and country. From creating access to broadband to in-person learning costs, there are new and different short and long-term budget impacts. Today, we are joined by two veteran education leaders who are leading the way for educators, families, and students. First, we have Kathy Moore, Superintendent of Wake County Schools. Kathy, you are now in your second week of the school year um, for school years on a traditional schedule, and we know this is still very, very new. But I also know that your team worked tirelessly over the summer to get feedback from families and staff and to plan for the new school year. How would you describe how things are going so far? Well, first, thank you for the opportunity, Marianne, and Public School Forum to talk a little bit about the opening of the school year. Um, I think things are going very well. Um, there's no such thing as perfection. Um, there are still bumps along the road, and I have spoken often in the last few months about the need to provide grace, flexibility, and have patience. That continues to be the case. Um, we know that we've had some bumps along the road. We're still settling into what this looks like for a whole uh, beginning of the school year for us. But overall, we've had pretty good feedback and lots of great teaching and learning going on. Yes, the engagement is phenomenal and just hearing what teachers are doing in your schools and all that goes on beyond, behind the scenes to make that possible um, has been exciting and also just amazing to see what educators will do. Um, we know that we've heard concerns over school budgets and the changing enrollments nationally, but also in North Carolina. How are you approaching the potentially uncertainty around school budgets and expenses this year? So it is absolutely correct. Uncertainty is a really good word and concern is another one. Um, so, you know, I think uh, sometimes I talk about the high levels of anxiety that we're all experiencing and the budget is one of those areas that's causing that anxiety. But we also have a high level of commitment to our, the work that is before us. And so with budgets, we're concerned about um, families who uh, may or may not be returning to the public school system impacting the number of students that we serve because they are concerned about a lack of in-person instruction or concerned about coming back at all and choosing to stay at home. There's a number of options that our families can exercise that can impact our enrollment numbers and therefore impact our resources. At the same time, um, since so many of our resources are driven by enrollment, we are also looking at unanticipated needs and expenses with regards to things like personal protective equipment, the number of devices and hotspots that we're having to purchase and allocate to student needs in the community, um, looking at how we ensure while we are beginning in remote that we are meeting the needs of our students who are on free and reduced lunch and need access to good nutritious meals and the expenses associated with that. There are more expense categories that are unanticipated than there are funds able to resolve them. In the spring, um, we receive from the Department of Public Instruction at the state level, a projected enrollment for the following school year. And our resources are allocated based on that projected enrollment. And it takes into account growth trends or remaining pretty much status quo. Uh, generally speaking, White County Schools grows a little bit every year. It kind of ebbs and flows. Um, we were anticipating some growth for the 2020-2021 school year. Um, so we've received resources equal to what our expected enrollment is going to be. 
And then there is a process that occurs every fall where districts um, submit the number of students that have actually enrolled and you, you calculate an average daily membership ADM. And then the resources are adjusted based on whether those numbers exceed or are below the projected ADM. So you reconcile the resources. Um, and we are just concerned with all kinds of things like families deciding to hold a kindergartner back a year or families deciding to make a decision to homeschool their child because they don't want to return to in-person learning. Um, all of those can impact the number of students that we have in, on our roles and therefore impact the resources that we get. Um, and that becomes a real problem because we've hired to our projections for the most part. Um, we've got you know, a few places where we, we've um, reserved some ability in case we do have some numbers that, that come in differently. But generally speaking, we push resources out because our resources to begin with aren't where they need to be. How are you supporting families who are struggling with issues like childcare and kind of those wraparound supports and are those also having budget implications? So one of the areas that we've really tried to pay attention to as we move forward here is how do we make sure that our teachers and our schools are connecting with students, right? So that social emotional piece is critical to the opening of the school year. And quite frankly, we've asked, we've given our teachers and schools the flexibility to take these first couple of weeks to ensure that we are connecting, that we see who has barriers to learning and how we can address them, um, that we know who our students are and that they're ready and that we're building the relationships that really are the foundation for a solid school year. So that, that's a piece that we are doing. Um, we also know that our counselors and our social workers provide great support to students that we are perhaps not able to connect with right away. And so they're busy working on making sure that we're finding and connecting with all of our students. Um, it would be very helpful right now, more critical even maybe than in a normal school year to have additional support in that area. But that's an area where we have not necessarily received additional resources at this point. So we're having to figure it out with what we have in place right now. I know you've also truly set a vision for equity in and across your schools. And I wonder if you could share a little bit about how the current pandemic is challenging you and the district around equity, but also are there opportunities that you've seen arise as well? And that's a great question because um, I've said on a couple of occasions that when we had to close schools last spring and um, and the state gave districts the option of engaging in remote learning because I think it was an option to begin with. Um, and now obviously it's a requirement if you're not in the building. Um, we knew immediately that we had students that in our communities that would need support in order to engage in remote instruction and remote learning. And so we set out um, last spring, we handed out five or 6,000 hotspots, about 30,000 devices. Um, and, and there were still students that we were pretty certain we hadn't reached. So we are doing that again now. And um, so really what happened was that inequities that we know exist in our community beyond the school level, there was a spotlight that was shown on those inequities and lack of access and barriers. And we found ourselves as a school system required to address and review what those barriers were in order to support our students' needs since we had switched to remote learning, remote instruction. And so uh, we've known that barriers outside the schoolhouse exist, but I really think that the opportunity in this, since we've had to shift to this model and we must reach all of our students, the opportunity is around leveraging 
the community will and the community sense around we want our schools to be great places for all of our students and for all children to have both access and success. And in order to do that, we must address needs outside the schools in order to achieve that. Um, and so I think that looking at things like community-wide Wi-Fi access, um, where it's considered almost a public utility as opposed to um, a service that you subscribe for, or how we ensure that our districts are providing students with tools that they can take home to use to continue to engage in high levels of teaching and learning. We've identified those needs, um, food nutrition needs outside the school. All of it now transferred from what we were doing in the school building to how we needed to meet those needs in the community. And I think that there's a role for the whole community to take a look at how we take care of each other. Well, Kathy, thank you so much for all of your insight and also all of your leadership. We have seen like never before just how important the role of our schools are in our communities and for our families, and we are grateful for you. So thank you so much for being with us today. You're welcome. Thank you. And after the break, we will hear from Dr. Anthony Jackson, the superintendent of Vance County Schools. Education Matters is brought to you each week in part by Town Bank, serving others, enriching lives. We are very pleased today to be joined by Dr. Anthony Jackson, the superintendent of Vance County Schools. Tony, I know you are now in the second week of the school year um, and that your team worked very hard all summer to make sure that you were prepared. How would you describe that things are going so far? Well, I, I would say very clearly that here in Vance County, uh, things are going well. Uh, and I would use words like both amazing and challenging. Uh, it depends on the minute. It depends on the time. But our, our team has worked so, so very hard to be prepared uh, for our students. In fact, our theme for this school year is we are ready. Uh, and we wanted our community to know that we've worked hard, we've done the best that we could to give you the, the, the best uh, experience for your children this year and that if we work together, we can do that. So uh, our, our total intent is one thing. We don't want uh, the fact that we're remote uh, to contribute to us being disconnected. So we're gonna work very hard to make sure that uh, uh, we're with our kids, we're supporting them, we're supporting our families, but overall, I'd say our, our folk have done a great job. How are you approaching the potentially uncertainty around school budgets and expenses this year? Uh, in public education, we've learned over the last few years, it's important for us to, one, budget conservatively. Uh, there's always more need than there are resources, and so that means that you're going to have to uh, prioritize the needs. Uh, and in our case, we're going to prioritize what our students need first and what our staff and families uh, need and and we've made a commitment that we're going to focus on um, our, our our people uh, and programs and then gadgets and so it's a matter of the the old adage that we learned in kindergarten you you take care of those primary needs first and then most of all I think with our budget situation just being transparent with our community and letting them know that the need will exceed uh, the actual resource and so we have to be very um, upfront about what we can do. Uh, and that what we can do is not always what we uh, would want to do, but we have to do it uh, based on what we have available to us. And, and in, in most cases, our parents have been very supportive uh, because we've tried to explain to them why we're making the decisions that we're making. Uh, make no mistake, this pandemic is going to create budget challenges for every organization. Uh, and I think that those of us uh, or those that will survive 
and, and will be helping on the other side are going to have to be those who are creative problem solvers who are going to uh, see it as the opportunity that it is and not allow uh, what you can't do to dictate what you're able to do. So I know one of the things in your districts that you've worked hard on is to make sure that students and staff have access to devices and the internet from home. And I wondered if you could describe those efforts and how they've affected your budget as well. One of the things that th this has been a part of a, a long range plan for us. Uh, so the pandemic and our aspirations kind of collided at the, at the same time. And that's why people laugh at me when I say I see COVID as an opportunity for Lance County because all of the things that we have been working on, they actually collided uh, at the appropriate moment. One, so there was a lot of proactive planning. We knew that we wanted to move towards a one-to-one -to -one strategy in our district, uh, more blended learning. And we started that journey four years ago. Uh, the pandemic accelerated it. Uh, for us. And so we've solicited the support of our Board of Education, making sure that they understood what we wanted to do and were very clear about the pathway that we had chosen, as well as our county commissioners in terms of funding priorities. And we had done that early uh, in the pandemic. We were talking with them in March, April about what we needed to do. And then we had to build uh, public and private partnerships. Uh, and uh, we were very lucky in Vance County to build relationships with Lenovo. And we were, had some, uh, again, we're a tier one county and we're, we're stressed sometimes with resources. So they, we were able to uh, secure, donated uh, probably about uh, 800 devices for our, our students there, uh, mobile hotspots. And then we were able to, to then leverage our COVID monies uh, to uh, purchase additional student devices and <clears throat> mobile hotspots for uh, all of our school buses so that we could extend access for all of our kids in our community because we recognize not every child had access in their homes. So our goal was to try to get it as close to the door as we could. And then we used our, our, our state technology money to really uh, zero in on our, our, our neediest kids who maybe were medically fragile or just didn't have the means to get to a hotspot. And so we were able to get individual mobile hotspots, a Khajiit, if you will, uh, that those they can check out like textbooks. But we had already had a system like that in place, so we were able to expand it. And then what we learned is that people recognized what we were doing. So our civic groups and community supporters have stepped forward and they've started now uh, purchasing those devices and saying, we want to make sure kids have them. And then we've had to build a communication plan uh, around this work and tell people where those mobile hotspots are and where uh, and keep that fresh. Put your address in. It'll tell you where the closest uh, uh, free hotspot is. If you can't talk to us, let's work through what we can do. So we've had a long-term strategy. It's working for us. Uh, and I encourage people to just be open to trying it uh, in different ways. I know you've also truly set a vision for equity in and across your schools. And I wonder if you could share a little bit about how the current pandemic is challenging you and the district around equity, but also are there opportunities that you've seen arise as well? I think equity at its, at its root is uh, everyone exercising grace uh, to ensure that everyone's taken care of. And so for me, what I want to do is, what, I, what I'm hoping uh, this moment will do is to bring out the best in all of us. I think we have to then uh, really um, uh, push one another to move outside of our own comfort zones and to give up our own selfishness or selflessness as we work through uh, trying to make sure that the least of them are taken care of. Uh, and so that really does mean that we have to have hard conversations around uh, things that we thought were okay. We're going to have to have hard conversations about systems. We're going to have to have hard conversations about what we value. 
and where we place our resources and where we prioritize our resources so that no child uh, uh, walks away having been deprived of opportunities and access simply because the system would not accommodate that. So COVID has pushed us to really think about those kinds of things first. Uh, we had equity issues before COVID. I think COVID has exacerbated that and has pushed us to really try very hard to make sure we're taking care of all of those kids. I mean, when we talk about broadband, that's an equity issue. We've known that for a long time. And so now we have to do something about it. I think we will miss this, we will miss a great opportunity if we allow this pandemic to come to see all of the, the, the gaps that exist and we do nothing other than wait for it to, 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 go, to go away and then go back to business as usual. I think that would be a mistake. Uh, and so I'm saying for us in Vance County, I think what it has done is it has confirmed for us that all means all. And that for us, equity is going to be about extending grace to every single person and especially the least of them. That you don't get grace simply because of your position or your privilege, you get grace because of who you are and what your needs are. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for your leadership and what you do every day and just helping us see that this is all part of our larger work and where we're going. Um, and we really appreciate the leadership that you bring to our state as well. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me and stay safe. After the break, a student spotlight and our final word. Students are doing some incredible things while learning during COVID-19, and on Education Matters, we are going to be spotlighting some students over the next few weeks that are working hard. We are pleased to be joined today by Lila Dreyer, a second grade student at Swift Creek Elementary in Wake County Public Schools. Lila, can you tell us a little bit about your school and your teacher? It's the best school ever. It goes up to fifth grade. My All of the teachers are amazingly kind and sweet. They are so great and I just love that school. It sounds like a wonderful school and would you describe for me what yesterday was like or this morning were like for you with school? It's like hard. You have to do your work on the computer and not real life. You can't even see your teacher. Do you get to see some of your friends? Mm-hmm. Some of them. How does that work in your classes online? So we had it to take turns. It wasn't actually taking turns because you went on the screen. And we were making sounds. It was almost like charade. I was a cockroach snake. I was, everyone was pretty funny. Um, and we had it to type them in the chat so everyone has a turn. And that's what I kind of like about um second grade because then you don't have to wait for your turn and it's very exciting to still be with my friends and teacher. So what do you think some of the challenges are? I could not just see my teacher and my teacher's amazingly nice and I want to hug my friends and play with them at school and I just wish that coronavirus was not here. What advice do you have for families or for other students who might be trying to figure out how to learn from home? Stop and just see where it takes you. Does it take you in a happy place or does it take you in a sad and mad place in school? It takes me in a medium place. And I know how it feel when I 
started second grade, I thought that my teacher and everything was going to be different and nothing was going to be the same. But the teachers were exactly the same. They were kind, nice. Even if they weren't in person, they were amazingly fun. And I think they'll take you in a happy place. We have known for a long time that schools provide a wide range of services and support for our students in order to meet the needs of the whole child. In this pandemic, more than ever before, we have seen the importance of schools serving as a hub for our families and communities. Today, we learn the complexities of providing options for families and students while also adjusting and adapting to new learning environments while working to meet the diverse needs of our students. Last year, our state developed a budget for each school district based upon the expected number of students, using those numbers as the basis for establishing funding levels for the 2021 school year. Using these budgets, district leaders put plans into place to have a certain number of teachers and staff in their schools, purchase technology and devices, and incur other instructional costs. Sometimes a district's budget may change slightly based upon the number of students in the schools during the first and second months of a school year, but these funding adjustments are usually small. But COVID-19 presents a potentially significant shock to budgets as we are hearing from school leaders that larger numbers of families are opting out of public schools temporarily while we are all working through the challenges that this pandemic presents. Having fewer students in our public schools destabilizes budgets and makes it more challenging than ever before to equitably ensure every child can have access to a sound basic education. Our school boards and district leaders manage significant multi-million dollar budgets. They lead organizations with a large number of staff members and responsibilities. In many counties, our school districts are one of the largest employers. They must have stable and dependable budgets to keep students and staff safe and learning with the constantly evolving situation and the needs of the whole child. Our schools must be focused on keeping students and staff safely engaged in effective learning environments. This means being able to make the right decisions at the right time as we progress through the school year. With so many changes and unpredictable aspects of the school year coming at us while we work to accommodate the needs of our students and staff, budgets are one area that we can actually provide some stability. There are three ways to accomplish this. First, we must hold a school district budget harmless if the number of students as determined by average daily membership decreases. The funds for schools for 2021 have already been appropriated, so let's ensure our superintendents can rely on having those dollars so they can meet unexpected costs associated with remote and hybrid learning and putting the safety protocols into place. Second, we must provide opportunities for districts to use the funding they have to meet the safety and learning needs of all students. Each district has its own complexities and changing needs. Let's ensure that school districts have autonomy when deciding how to use different funding streams to address the needs of their school communities this year. Finally, schools will need additional funding to cover the needs of students and keep students and staff safe in this COVID-19 world. We need to continue to identify and quantify the additional needs that arise in our schools and encourage our federal and state leaders to provide funding relief that our schools desperately need. School and district leaders consistently strive to meet the needs of students, including their unique needs and in their own context. They understand how to manage their funds efficiently to do the most they can with the budgets that they have. 
We want our leaders focused on our kids, on their safety and their learning. We are fortunate to live in a state that has prepared for challenging times, and this preparation enables us to ensure that school budgets are the one constant of the school year. That, and of course, the dedication everyone is demonstrating to each and every one of our students. Thank you for taking the time with us to learn and think about education. That's all for today, and we'll see you next week.